podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 15th of January, another week in the books. You have made it. Give yourself a pat on the back. Two weeks down, 50 to go in what is sure to be a very, very strange year. Uh, we're brought to you by EPLindex.com, an association with a presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, keep your data safe, and change your location if you want to access things like American Netflix. If you use the code EPLVPN, you'll get 20% off at checkout on either the hardware or the software package. Check out libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a homeware and giftware company based in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. For any of your homeware or giftware needs, do check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right. We've got a full round of fixtures this weekend, bar one. Aston Villa versus Everton has been called off as a result of the coronavirus outbreak at Villa's training ground. So we did expect that one to get called off. Uh, last night, Arsenal played Crystal Palace and their three-match winning streak came to an end in a fairly dour affair. Um, Arsenal had four shots in the game. Palace had two. Arsenal's main shot taker was Rob Holding. Arsenal's main chance creator was Rob Holding. And that basically tells you all you need to know about this game. Arsenal fans were a little bit upset, wondering why they're so bad. If you're wondering why you're so bad, let me break it down for you. Your right back is Hector Bellerin. He's a mediocre mid-table player. He's quick in a straight line. He's limited technical ability. He's not a good defender. And he hasn't fully recovered from the torn ACL. Rob Holding is your right-side centre-back. He's a mediocre mid-table player. David Luiz is currently playing left-side centre-back while Gabriel is recovering. He's a mediocre mid-table player at this point in his career. Ainsley Maitland-Niles played left-back. And I like Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I think he's a good player. But he's right-footed, and when you've got Aubameyang playing left-wing, you need a left-footer to provide width, provide balance to the team. Every time Arsenal got the ball, they were incredibly predictable and everything came in field. In midfield, you had Danny Ceballos and Granit Xhaka. They're both mediocre mid-table players. And in your front four, Baki Osaka, I think, is an absolute star in the making. He's a wonderful, wonderful talent. I think the same of Emile Smith-Rowe. There's real potential with those two. Now, Strangely enough, Arsenal have been linked with Julian Brand. Julian Brand is a very similar style of player to Emile Smith-Rowe, who you already own, who came through your academy, who cares about your club. Do not do anything stupid. Then you've got Aubameyang playing left wing. He's not really a left winger, and he got his big contract in the summer, probably the last big contract of his career, and he doesn't look to care anymore. He doesn't appear motivated. He doesn't appear like he's playing for something. He just looks like someone who's very, very comfortable with life now. 
which is the same situation you went through with Mesut Ozil. Now, hopefully, Aubameyang can snap himself out of it. But if not, that contract's going to look really ugly for a couple of years. And up front, Alex Lacazette, who has never fully settled at Arsenal and has never fully brought the full Leon Alex Lacazette to Arsenal. He's a good player who's capable of being a very good player. But in this team, it just doesn't work for him and has never really worked for him. He's a good player, though. The front four are all good players. What was behind them was not good. Mediocre midfielders, mediocre centre-back, mediocre right-back. And a central midfielder slash right wing-back playing at left-back, making you very, very predictable. Coming off the bench, Gabriel was there. He's a good player. Long-term, he's going to be great for you. Willian, I mean, I think the less said, the better. Said when they signed him, bad contract, bad idea. 200 grand a week to someone who's 32 years of age. And there was a reason Chelsea were happy to let him go. Uh, runner Alex Runnerson was the worst goalkeeper in the French League last year. And you decided that he was good enough to replace Emi Martinez in your squad. Cedric Soares is a solid citizen at right back. But, I mean, all he is is a backup. You don't want him in your team. You'd never want him in your team. Thomas Partey is going to be a tremendous player for Arsenal. Very, very talented. Proven at the highest level. Champions League, La Liga. He's been there and done it. He's had injury problems, obviously, since joining. It'll take him a little bit of time to get up to speed, but he is a top-class player. Nicolas Pepe, it's never really worked from since joining Arsenal. That is 20% down to him and 80% down to mismanagement and misuse. Arsenal need to find a way to get him in the team. If it means getting him in the team at the expense of one of Lacazette or Aubameyang, and I don't really care which one, it needs to happen. He needs to play on the right, Saka needs to play on the left, and either Aubameyang or Lacazette through the middle. Get the most out of the players you have. And when you've spent $72 million on a player, he needs to be in the team because you need to figure out what you have with him. Callum Chambers, again, mediocre mid-table player. Joe Willock is a young midfielder who, to me, profiles as someone who's going to end up at a club like Crystal Palace. And that's not to denigrate Crystal Palace, but I think that's Joe Willock's level. Eddie Nketiah, very, very talented young player. But again, another young player. You can't really rely on them just yet. So Arsenal's problem is their squad isn't very good. They have a lot of bad players. They have a lot of mediocre mid-table players. And when you have a lot of mediocre mid-table players, including half of your first team and probably half of your bench, you are going to end up being a mediocre mid-table team. That's just how it works, I'm afraid. It's simple maths. Mediocre plus mediocre equals mediocre. Simple as that. And when your best players are young players, and big, you know, Arsenal's best players are Partey, who's currently been injured and coming back from that, and Kieran Tierney, who's now injured and could be out for a little while. When, you, when you've got limited amounts of quality players, I would say long-term looking at what Arsenal have, Partey, Tierney, Gabriel, plus the youngsters. That's what they have. And the rest is dross or overpaid older players. So, you know, maybe Pepe joins that group. I don't know. Maybe Pepe joins the good group. But Arsenal's problem is they need an overhaul of the squad. They need to do it quickly. They need to do it with younger players. They need to stop giving big contracts to older players because the Osel thing was a disaster. The Aubameyang thing looks a disaster. The Willian thing looks a disaster. 
you can't get caught between trying to rebuild and trying to win now. If you do that, you're just going to end up finishing eighth in the league. And nobody wants to finish eighth in the league because you don't get European football. Your best players are going to want to leave. Those young players that you're so excited about, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Enketia, Martinelli, who's also out injured again, by the way, uh, they're not going to want to stick around for a club that's finishing eighth. And pressure will grow on the manager, especially if the fans are back in the stadium. For Palace, this was a good result. They'll be happy with the draw here. Uh, winning a draw from their last two games. Eberichi Ezzi looked decent again. The partnership with him and Mitchell down the left, I really like. I'm really hoping they'll make a move for Michael Alisi of uh, Reading and have the long-term pairing of Nathan Ferguson and him down the right. I think that will lock down their flanks for the few years. They've got a lot of squad turnover to happen as well. They've got a lot of players out of contract this summer. But all things considered, I think Palace are much happier with that point than Arsenal are. As I said, no Aston Villa versus Everton this week, but we do have nine games. So to help me go through the nine games is Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am good. How are you? I am tremendous. I am I'm tremendous, Guy. It's a Friday. We've made it through another week. And what is there not to be happy about? All the snow and the ice has gone away. There's lovely rain. Fits in much better with my brand. Um... There's a big, big game coming up this weekend that I'm quite excited about. But there's a couple of other games that are are, are quite appetizing, you might say. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we can guess which one the uh, big game is, and it's probably Wolves against West Brom. It is Wolves against West Brom. It's the Black Country Derby. Two teams having very disappointing seasons. Uh, Wolves are 14th. 18 games played, only 22 points, no wins in their last five. West Brom are 19th, eight points from 17 games, uh, no wins in their last five, managed by Big Sam, doesn't get much worse. Uh, trying desperately to find ways around the Brexit rules that they that, that Sam voted for. Um, let's be honest, if Wolves don't win this game, Nuno's going to find himself under pressure because there's no excuse for Wolves not to win this game. At home, clearly the better team, spent so much more money than West Brom. Been in the Premier League a couple of years, West Brom are newly promoted. You would look at their squads and it's hard to it's hard to say that any West Brom player would start for Wolves. Pereira is probably the only one because he's really good. And if you played 4-2-3-1, you'd start him as your 10 with Neto and Adama either side. And then, you know, whoever up front. Now, Carlin Grant is fit and Jimenez is not. So you'd start Carlin Grant for now. But behind that, it's it's Neves and then Donker. Even though the Wolves centre-backs are poor, the, the West Brom ones are dreadful. So there's no other West Brom player getting in that combined team. Going into the weekend... Uh, Marcal is out, Podence is out, Adama is out, Jimenez remains out with the fractured skull, Johnny Castro still out, has been all season, and Willie Bolly has a hamstring injury but will have a fitness test to see if he's fit. Connor Gallagher is out, suspended for um, West Brom. Hal robson Canu has a late fitness test. Big blow, obviously, Carlin Grant being out with the cracked bone in the foot. Uh, Connor Townsend, and Sam Field, both ruled out with knee injuries, though 
Big Sam hasn't really given them much of an opportunity. With Carolyn Grant being out, and I'd forgotten he wasn't he wasn't fit, but Carolyn Grant being out, West Brom are in big, big trouble. Because not only can they no longer defend, they can no longer score goals. And when you can't do either, you're going to go down. Uh, I'm going to say Wolves win this game comfortably 3-0. That... Is that more more to do with West Brom than Wolves? That is 97% to do with West Brom and how poor they've been. Um, When you look at a team that somehow, somehow managed to get a nil-nil, sorry, one-all draw with Liverpool, but got walloped by Villa, walloped by Leeds, walloped by Arsenal, and then lost to Blackpool in the Cup. Um, There's just, I just don't see how they can win a game of football right now. Uh, I look at their games. They've got Wolves this weekend, obviously. Then they've got West Ham on Tuesday. Then City the following week. Then Fulham. That's a huge game for them now, but you'd you'd give, you'd make Fulham strong favourites. And then Sheffield United on the 2nd of February. And we could well get to the 2nd of February and find that West Brom are nailed to the bottom of the table and that uh, Sheffield United, despite that pathetic start, taking one point from the first 51 available uh, are above them. So, you know, I don't see I don't see a way out for West Brom now. With the defence the way it is, with Carlin Grant out injured, I think I think we can start to, to wave goodbye. Uh, and Big Sam, unfortunately, won't be getting that big bonus he has built into his contract should he keep them up. Yeah, it's a strange one. I think it's Probably the t- maybe Sunderland comparable, but probably the toughest job he's taken, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'd imagine so. In terms of in terms of playing talent, I mean Pereira's great, the Ingana's great. I really like Carlin Grant. I like Conor Gallagher, but they don't own him. I don't like any of the defenders. I'm not a big fan of the goalkeeper. And while I like Jake Livermore, he's clearly passed his best. And Roman Sayers, to me, is a really good championship player who's out of his depth at Premier League level. I think, yeah, from a talent point of view, it's probably the least talented group he's taken over, bar maybe that Sunderland team. They would have to look and see who was on that team. Um, and obviously the position that they're in. I think Jermaine Defoe may have been the, been the difference J- there. <laughs> Jermaine Defoe was there. And yeah, see, that's the thing. He was... Jermaine Defoe was obviously really, really good when he was at his very best. But it's weird with this West Brom team because Billich seemed to finally be getting some improvements out of them. And then they bin him off after a really impressive draw away to City. And now you look at them and they just look lost. Like they, they look purposeful against Liverpool. But all they really did was park the bus. In the other games he's overseen, now, fair enough, the Villa game, they had a player sent off. But against Leeds and against Arsenal, they looked like a team that gave up. I mean, to me, they looked like a team that gave up. So I don't really know what to make of them. So you look at the the Sunderland team. He took over. Now, he did spend quite a bit of money. He spent about £15 Brought in uh, Lamina Kone, who's very good. Kershaw, who didn't really work out for them, 
and Kazri, who was okay but not great. Um, he had Jan, Jan and Villa, who was really, really good for Southampton. Um, DeAndre Yedlin was there. It's surprising how long he's been in the Premier League. You look through the squad. They had Jordan Pickford, a young Jordan Pickford. Um, they had Patrick Van Anholt, Wes Brown, Eunice Kabul, John O'Shea. They added Kone. So they had a better group of defenders than this West Brom team. Uh, in midfield, Mvia was there. Uh, current Middlesbrough hero Duncan Watmore was there. Jermaine Lenz was there. Jack Rodwell, Sebastian Larson, Lee Catamull. I would say the midfield, Mvia aside, the midfield was better. Or no, sorry, the midfield was about even. Mvia is the one that makes it better. But up front, he had Defoe, Fabio Barini. And the um, Fabio Barini is, the his, full, is, Fabio his, Barini. is his full name, Div. <laughs> um, or as Brendan Rogers described him, the greatest physical specimen I've ever seen. Um, he looked like a, a like a twig. I don't know where Brendan was talking or what brought what Brendan had seen. Um, I would say this this West Brom team has better attackers with Grant. Like you would rather have Pereira, Diangana, and Grant than Defoe and Barini. Um, but in midfield, Mvia makes the Sunderland midfield better. The Sunderland defence was better, and I would suggest Jordan Pickford, though I'm obviously no fan of Jordan Pickford, uh, was better than Sam Johnston. They also had Vito Minone, who'd done pretty well for Arsenal, and Steve Harper, obviously long-time goalkeeper for Newcastle United. Um he also took over earlier that year as well. Remember, he took over like early October. Mm. So he had a couple of extra months. I would say this is the hardest. Yeah, I'd say the hardest job, the least talent available. And likely the one that he can't dig them out of. Yeah, defence seems the key, doesn't it? But we'll move on because mm. we spent a long, too long <laughs> on that game. Um, Leeds v Brighton. Probably not the most eye-catching person. There's hipsters out there fuming at your every word now, as you've you've said it's not eye catching. Well, I'm hipsters out there living for this game. No, I mean sorry, because I was going to say this is probably one of the more fun games of the weekend. But in terms of there's there's numerous derbies and big name games that are probably more eye catching on paper. But Leeds v Brighton, neither team can defend. This Leeds just score goals and see what happens. Brighton. Can't score goals, but when you say that, they end up scoring free somehow, all off people's asses. Mm. Um, what what's your thoughts on this one? Um, as you said, neither team can defend. You're looking at a Leeds team have conceded 33 goals, a Brighton team have conceded 29. Only West Brom have a worse defence uh, than these two. I think. Leeds obviously have been much better going forward. Brighton have been pretty good going forward, but Leeds are Leeds are really good going forward. Um, Brighton annoy me because I, I was very high on them at the start of the season. I thought they'd do really well as long as they got the pieces in that they needed and they got nothing in. Uh, a couple of empty shirts, that's about the height of it. Um, at Leeds, you would expect Leeds to win the game. Brighton tend to be better against 
good, like the really good teams than they are against the groups, the teams in the middle middle of the table. Brighton have three draws from their last five, but no wins in their last five. Leeds have three wins in the last five and got robbed against Burnley, so they could have a draw there as well. So Leeds are in better form. Both teams have a lot of players out for this game. Mm-hmm. Um, for Leeds, Calvin Phillips is, is out suspended. Diego Loriente could be back. He could could finally be fit. Um, but he'll have a late fitness test. Liam Cooper's back. Tyler Roberts is back. But Berardi is out. Forshaw's out. And Robin Cock is still out. That sounds bad until you look at what Brighton are currently dealing with. So Florian Andone is out. Danny Welbeck is out. Aaron Connolly is a doubt. Adam Lalana is a doubt. Yves Basima is suspended. Stephen Alzate is expected back. Tariq Lamptey is ruled out. Josie Esquerda is ruled out. Ali Rassi Yahan Bakesh is ruled out. Jason Steele is a doubt. And Jacob Motor, who's, I believe, just come over from, from Poland after they bought him last summer. He was loaned back, but they have now brought him over. And... It looks like he's going to be playing a big partner. He is super talented. He is very, very highly rated in his homeland and by you know the the type of people that watch uh, Polish football for fun. Um, and if he is as advertised, then the the, part, the long-term partnership of him and Basuma, well, I say long-term, Basuma could well leave in the summer, but that partnership could be a lot of fun. And then the other Polish kid that they signed in the summer, um, oh, I can't think of his name, the Karbonik, he's a left wing back, which is one of the things that they badly needed. And they've brought him over now permanently as well. So if he can get involved and he can play left wing back and Motor can play in centre midfield and they can start to have that Lamptey, Basuma, Motor, Karbonik across the four, as, as four across the middle rather with, White, Duncan, Webster, all of a sudden they'll start to look more complete, but they still need that number nine. And until they get that number nine, I'm just refusing to pick them to win games. And when you've got that many players out, including Lamptey, who's their most creative uh, outlet, I think you have to go with a Leeds win here. I think you have to suggest that Leeds will have the firepower to take advantage of what Brighton do at the back, which is, you know, Ben White makes a mistake, Lewis Dunk charges over, tries to cover up for it doesn't have the pace doesn't always get there and then Adam Webster's left trying to sweep it all up by himself but Adam Webster has his own limitations so I'm going to say Leeds win this game 3-1 with Rafinha and Rodrigo causing absolute chaos in that Brighton defence especially especially if Graham Potter commits the crime of once again playing Dan Byrne as a wing back I want investigations (laughs) launched he needs to be brought to The Hague and tried for war crimes because it's an appalling sight to watch a man who is six foot seven play as a wing back. Well, you mentioned Dan Byrne there. He's, he's obviously took kind of taken Ben White's spot at centre back. Obviously, he's left footed, added more balance. But you were a big advocate of Ben White in the summer. And you've mentioned a few times he's almost disappointed that he's not at the level of defender that mm. you thought he was. I mean, is that a shock to you? Because obviously at Leeds he was no. the most eye-catching one in the championship. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that Leeds, he wasn't a particularly good defender, but he was so good on the ball and he was such a progressive player 
both with his ability to pass out from the back and carry the ball from the back. And what you'd often see is he'd carry the ball from the back and Calvin Phillips would just step back in and, and hold centre-back. At times, they actually started Phillips at centre-back and, and White as the holding midfield position. But I did think that defensively he would come along this season. And I thought, especially playing in a three, because mm. when you play in a three, you've got two mates. So you've got, and especially when one of them is Lewis Dunk, who's a good centre-back and he's the captain of the team. He's very, very vocal. I thought Dunk will talk him through games. He'll get away with some of the mistakes he makes because he'll make them in wide areas and they won't hurt the team as much. Now, a big part of it has been Graham Potter, who has played him in midfield. He's played him as a wing-back. I think with a young centre-back, you really have to commit to playing them as a centre-back. We watched Joe Gomez guy. And when Gomez was being shuffled from right centre-back to right-back, there was about 18 months where he just didn't improve. He just stayed the same level of player. And he made the same errors continually. And he had the same weaknesses in his game. As soon as Liverpool committed to Joe Gomez as centre-back and Joe Gomez as staying centre-back, he took off and became a much better player. Then he got put right back against Burnley and broke his ankle, but that's neither here nor there. But when, when they committed to him playing as a centre-back, not been moved here, there and everywhere, one position, one role, learn it, master it, you'll be fine. Joe Gomez took off. I think the same thing could happen for Ben White. But unfortunately, Graham Potter's gotten twit uh, twitchy this season. Obviously, the season's not gone how they hoped. They will have had expectations themselves, maybe not as high as I had for them when they didn't get the players in, but they will have thought, we're going to finish somewhere in the 12 to 14 range. And we're happy with that because it's another season of progression for us, more building the philosophy, getting this style of play in, embedded, growing our identity. And then things just didn't go well for them. And Potter has tried to he's tried to kind of find the balance in defense, whereas he really just needed to. If, if that's your three, if it's White, Duncan, Webster, commit to it, and unless one of them's injured, keep them in the team. Trust that you have enough going forward to balance out for the mistakes that they'll make and that you can win enough games to keep yourself up. Because next season, when you go in with, again, White, Duncan, Webster... They'll have a full season playing together. They'll be much more secure as a 3-0. White and Webster will have developed because they'll have a full year of Premier League football under their belts. But they just haven't committed to it this season. There's been too much change. A part of it has been the injuries to Lamptey. And Lamptey's always going to suffer injuries because he's so small and because of how he plays and the level of hatchetry uh, that he experiences, they're always going to have that problem. So they just need to work with that. They need to find other areas in their team where they can get creativity and where they can progress the ball. Like, there's no point in always relying on Lamptey to get the ball and run 50 yards with it. It's just, it's just not something you can sustain. Find other ways to progress the ball. And one of them could be, give the ball to Ben White, let him carry the ball from the back and pick passes 
And if you have a focal point up front, like a Vootweg Horst, like a Maxi Gomez, like a Chris Wood, for example, if you had someone that you could just ping the ball in at, and he's, who's going to take it in, hold it up, and bring others into the game. Like, Sebastian Haller would have been a great signing for them. He went for $22 million to Ajax. I think he would have gone to Brighton if Brighton had gone in for him. He would have fit how they play him and Mope with Trossard or McAllister. That kind of movement around him would have worked really well. They didn't go for it. They've brought in, you know, Percy Tau, who... I don't know. I mean, he's was he five nine? He's not going to do what you need him to do. He's he's a good player, but they needed a bigger presence up front, someone that could work centre backs, hold players off, bring others into the game, someone that could be that focal point when others are trying to find an out ball or progress the ball in, in you know in uh, attacking development, and they didn't do it, and it remains incredibly frustrating to me to watch them play constantly see certain things happen and then the ball gets pinged up to Danny Welbeck and bounces about 15 feet off him because unfortunately for Danny Welbeck his first touch is an abomination hey he got a penalty against us doing that <laughs> literally literally the ball bounced off him and then he fell over so you know I, I, Brighton are just they frustrate me they really do because they shouldn't be 17th they really shouldn't be 17th. They're well-managed, they're well-run, they've got talent. They should be a lot higher in the table, but they're just lacking that focal point in attack. I think the two Polish boys are going to be a help. Now, obviously, they'll have to be brought along slowly. You can't just throw them into the team and hope for the best. But if you've got... You've, you've still got Davy Proper there, who's a really good player. And again, he hasn't played a whole bunch this year. One of Pot- The biggest mistake Potter has made is playing Adam Lallana and Danny Welbeck far too often. For the small returns that you get every once in a while, be it Welbeck scoring, was he got two goals this season? Uh, Lallana having maybe two decent performances this season. The games where they don't turn up, which is most of them, and the injuries that they suffer, they disrupt your team. Because some weeks you're playing with an empty shirt in midfield or up front, and then other weeks, the team is used to playing with certain people in certain places. And all of a sudden, there's somebody else there who does something different. So if Adam Lalana plays in midfield, he plays in midfield one way. When Davy Proper plays there, he does something different. So when Proper's there, both Basuma and Solly March, they have to adjust to the fact that, oh, this is different now. We have to do different things here. We have to give him the ball in different areas. Adam Lallana was going to run off the ball and you were going to try and find him in attacking transition. Proper wants to drop in, pick the ball up, but he wants to be the one that advances play. Um, that type of discontinuity, I don't know if that's the right word, if that is even a word, but that type of upheaval in the team consistently has hurt them. Like Brighton are a very inconsistent team for a reason. Um, that as things stand, it looks like they're going to try and draw their way to uh, to survival. I don't think that will work. And like Fulham are two points behind them with two games in hand, so you know Brighton are, are in are in bother at the minute. Um, and they need to get themselves sorted. Like because Burnley are two points ahead of them, but Burnley also have two games in hand. So if Burnley were to win one of those games, 
and Fulham won one of their games. I mean, all of a sudden they're in the bottom three and next thing they've got, you know, the rampant Sheffield United breathing down their neck and West Brom still with notions of getting out of it. And it's a, it's a big risk. It's a big risk for Brighton if they're going to go through this window and not buy anybody. It really is. Bringing back three players from loan who you had decided in the summer were not ready to start. Now, Percy Tau, I know there was work permit stuff, but you decided in the summer that uh, Carbonic and, and Motor w- weren't ready. So it's weird that they're ready now. Anyway, Leeds win this game. I think Leeds win this game comfortably, but I think Brighton will score. I'll go 3 1. Cool. We have spent half an hour on two games, so we'll go through some of these a bit quicker. <laughs> we better rattle through some of these. Just, in fairness, now, there are a couple coming up that require a lot less chat, including this next game. Yes. The Claret and Blue Derby. Who's winning? <laughs> <laughs> um, as I mentioned earlier, Burnley are in decent form. Um, I realise they just I messed up the leads, the leads thing. They'd they'd won three and they got robbed. They didn't get robbed against Burnley. They did the robbing. It was Burnley who got robbed against Leeds. Uh, Burnley have won two and drawn one of their last five. Burnley hilariously are in better form over their last uh, three games than Liverpool because um, they've actually won yeah, one. Let, 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 <laughs> let's move let's on from not. that. West Ham won their first game in a while uh, last time out. West Ham sit 10th there. One of the surprise packages for me this season. I really thought they'd struggle, but they had a really good start. They got through that really tough run of games they had. And, you know, for them to have a positive goal difference at this point, the season is a good sign. Their defense has been solid because they defend in numbers. It's Individually, it's still ropey as anything. But West Ham are they're, they're decent to watch. I like the Rice-Suchek thing. Now that Ben Ram is in the team, there's some lovely interplay with him and Fornalds, a lot of creativity. Um, Bowen has had a decent season, and we need more goals from him, but he's having a decent season. The key, obviously, is keeping Antonio fit, and now that they've let Haller go, they don't really have another striker at the club. So that was weird. Um, defensively, I still think they're, they've got major, major issues that they're going to need to fix at some point, Burnley unlucky to lose to United during the week. Uh, deflected Pogba goal. They gave United a decent enough game. I think Burnley could get a draw here. A lot depends on who. Let's see. West Ham. Fabianski's expected back. Ryan Fredericks has COVID. Issa Diop. They, they keep claiming he's injured, but he's not. He just doesn't. He's just not going to get a game. Uh, Balbuena has COVID and Masawak is that injured. I think West Ham will be pretty much at full strength. Burnley's injuries, Charlie Taylor could be back. Jimmy Dunn and Bailey Peacock-Farrell wouldn't play anyway. I'm going to say West Ham win what is going to be a fairly turgid game of football um, through some magic from either Ben Rama or Fornals. I'll go 2-1 West Ham. Yeah, I think it'll be a tight game either way. Um... Fulham v Chelsea up next. The um, posh London derby. Yes, I was I was thinking of how to word it, and that seems to be the perfect one. Um, Fulham, we know you're not a fan of Scott Parker, but 
now. Again, you mentioned Brighton drawing their way to some somewhere. Yeah, Fulham doing the same Fulham thing. Fulham are doing the exact same thing. Um, Five draws in a row is, is, is a fairly special accomplishment, it to, must be said. To be fair, I mean, in the I think to, I was on today was pod last night, and he, the, the fixtures he read off, it was, what, Liverpool, City, United, Leicester, etc. I think... The, the difficulty there getting them getting them draws, I think Southampton included as well. It's it's a good. It, I think it's a good fair to say it's a good run for Fulham. Yeah, it's it's Liverpool one all, Brighton nil nil, Newcastle one all, Saints nil nil, and Spurs one all. Um, so remarkably, they've only scored three goals in five games and still taken five points from those games. Um, they obviously beat QPR in the cup as well, so that was a nice little confidence boost for them. Uh, in truth, they should have beaten Liverpool. They were the better team. Um, they should have been walloped by Spurs. I don't know how Spurs threw that game away. Uh, I didn't talk about that after Wednesday night because I was just I was quite annoyed again by Spurs, who, if they don't make top four, Mourinho has to go. He just has to go. Simple as that. Um, there can be no excuse for them this season. Um, Chelsea, obviously not in particularly great form. Um, one win from their last five. Pressure growing on Frank. It's strange that Fulham, despite being 18th, they're in better form than Chelsea, who spent all that money in the summer. And we were told it was the greatest transfer window anyone had ever had. You wouldn't trust... Chelsea's defence you don't really know what they're going to be in attack they score a lot of goals but they don't have any patterns of play there's no defined style of football it's individual talent carrying them along the way I think Fulham could make it six draws in a row here this game is in Fulham which is a weird little pitch very very tight suits a team that's probably going to play a back five. Well, it'll be back three with wing-backs, but Kenny Tete came back and played against Spurs, and that allowed them to actually play with, with real defenders. Now, Loftus-Cheek is, is, isn't able to play because, obviously, he's owned by uh, Chelsea. Mitrovic is potentially out. Uh, Tom Kearney is out, and Mario Lamina is out. Lamina is a big blow because he's really good, but Harrison has done well in midfield of late. For Chelsea, N'Golo Kante is ruled out suspended. Reese James still has that hamstring thing, but is expected to be, you know, be okay to play. And Andreas Christensen should be back as well. So Chelsea should be pretty much at full strength bar Kante. Um, but if he's not there, you'd wonder who's going to win the ball back. I, I'm going to say a draw. I, I am, I'm going to say a draw. This is two bad managers. And... I think they'll cancel each other out. I'll I'll say Fulham get a 1-1 draw here. No, no something, Dave. What? I said the exact same yesterday. <laughs> so, yeah. So Chelsea are winning 12 now. Um, most likely. Most yes. likely. But if they don't, like if they drop points here, there's, there's a real chance that Lampard doesn't see out the weekend as manager. Because if West Ham win, as I've predicted them to do, and Chelsea don't win, I mean, they're going to end up still ninth with Arsenal breathing down their neck, Villa having three games in hand and only one point less. 
leads on leads only a point behind them and and you know climbing the table. I, I just I don't think Frank is long for that job. I really don't know. I think I think Parker should be out the gap already, but I think uh, I think Frank's days are probably numbered. Yeah, I think Fulham are improving where Chelsea have stumbled. Really, um, mm. Fulham have momentum, and I know some mm-hmm. people say momentum's not real. I think it is, and I think they've just they've drawn with Liverpool, drawn with Southampton, and drawn with Spurs. And if they have a look at the league table, they will say to themselves, "Well, those three teams are better than Chelsea." So if we can draw with them, there's no reason we can't get a result against Chelsea. So I think Fulham will go into this game with uh, with unusual confidence for a team that are currently 18th. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, Luckman, Cavillero, and um, well, it won't be Loftus Cheek this time around, but whoever else to play up front, it, it seems to be settling in quite nicely. Maybe a lack of goals, but it seems to be settling. Um, so one all for that one. Um, next game up then the late one on on Saturday evening again a great game on paper Leicester v Southampton. Then there's a couple injury problems in this. Obviously Danny Ings has got COVID as well, but that I think we say this every time we talk about a Leicester game. Vardy fitness depending <laughs> if there's goals in this game. Yeah, it's nice that Danny Ings got COVID after the Liverpool game. After he'd won the game against Liverpool, it was nice that he got COVID then rather than you know before where he might have missed the mm. game. Um. Yeah. So for Leicester, uh, Dennis Pryat is ruled out. Ricardo Pereira is still unlikely to play. Chengiz Under has a late fitness test, as do Vardy and Madison. But Vardy and Madison are expected back. If they play, you'd expect that, that there should be some goals from Leicester's side. For Saints, uh, the injury list is quite long. Vestergaard is out now. McCarthy should be back from from his COVID um, quarantine. Romeo is expected back. Che Adams is expected back after he got volleyed in the head. Ings is out. Salisu is probably still not fit. Redmond is out. Jennifer is out. Obafemi is out. And Nathan Teller is out. So a lot of players out. Ralph is going to have to juggle some pieces around. Obviously, I mean, these two teams are kind of forever linked because of that 9-0 game. Yeah, okay. but. If- you know, if you look back since then, I mean, Leicester should have finished top four last season, threw it away. Saints turned their season round incredibly last year. This season, Saints are seventh, Leicester are fourth, both having really good seasons, only three points separating them. If Saints were to win this game, they'd actually potentially catch Leicester, depending on the goal difference. So I think both teams will be really, really happy with how their seasons have gone. Saints only one win in five, though. That was that game against Liverpool. They had been struggling a little bit. I think Leicester at home with Vardy fit, no wings on the opposite end of things. No, no Genepo. I mean, that's the thing. You're not just losing one part of your attack. Genepo's out as well. So two of your starting attackers are out. It should be a really good game in midfield. I think the the battle between Ndidi, Telemans and Madison versus what's probably, I would hope, going to be Ward-Prowse and Diallo. Because Diallo was great against Liverpool. Yeah. I think he should keep his place. That could be an interesting contract contest, especially with Armstrong dropping back in to kind of help out and balance the numbers. 
I think Leicester will win this game, but I do think this is potentially the most entertaining game of the weekend. I'm going to say 3-2 to Leicester. Now, the two goals for Southampton, that is based on the idea that Shea Adams is going to play, and I think I think Walcott will cause Leicester some problems with his pace. But um, I'm going to say Leicester win 3-2. Yeah, I see goals in that game either way. Uh, moving on to Sunday, um, obviously the, I think this is when the uh, Villa COVID game was meant to be played, so late start on Sunday to um, Sheffield United against Spurs. The up-and-coming Sheffield United after the back, is it? I think it's two wins in a row if you count the cup game. Um, and Spurs love drawing against bad teams. They do. Spurs love nothing better than to score early dominate the game, and then proceed to fall apart on about 75. A big part of Spurs' issue is that Mourinho is is too defensive-minded. And unfortunately, there are flashes of the old Jose, who, when his team went one up, he would want them to put their foot on the throat of the opposition and just crush them into the ground. But now, it's like he manages with a little bit of fear and I don't know what it is but like when you see Spurs at home to Fulham have Musa Sissoko and Heusberg on the pitch you have to wonder what they're doing why do you need two defensive midfielders in that game especially when one of them is not very good like why couldn't you play Endembele in the two with Heusberg and get another attacking midfielder into the team like give Deli Ali a game and see how he does um Spurs should win this. I mean, it would be quite embarrassing for them if they didn't. But, like you say, Sheffield United have won back-to-back games. They will have a little bit of confidence. If if Aaron Ramsdale makes a save and keeps a clean sheet, Donald Trump should probably worry about getting impeached again. Because <laughs> the last two times Aaron Ramsdale has kept a clean sheet in which he made a save... Donald Trump got impeached the following week. Um, or the same day, maybe. It could be the same day. Anyway, that's that neither here nor there. That would be impressive, to be fair. It would be. If to be like, it's, it's massively impressive to get impeached twice. To get impeached once is massively impressive. To get impeached twice is incredible. Uh, a third time would just be hysterical. Um, you'd have to fancy Spurs coming into this game. Lacelso's out. Bergvine is a doubt. They can make do without either of them. For Sheffield United, Sander Berger remains out. Jack O'Connell remains out. I think that's probably their two best players. Stevens and Baldock should be fit. Now, there's no excuse for George Baldock to come back into the team because they're much better with Bogle in the team. Uh, Ollie McBurney is a doubt and Jack Robinson's real doubt. That's probably for the best. He hasn't been very good since they signed him. I think Spurs should win this game, but I, I think Sheffield United, they'll give, them, they'll give them a bit of a fight, I think. I'll go 2-1 Spurs, but it, it, I really wouldn't be surprised if it ended up as a draw. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on to the big game on paper, at least, Liverpool v Man U. Uh, I think this is the f- probably the first time it's been first v second, must be since 08 or 09. Um, this game is always horrendous, Dave. Mm. Yeah, it is, especially when Ollie's been manager, because... His his primary tactic against Liverpool has been, let's park the bus. 
And I don't expect him to change that, even though United come into this game top of the league, because if they get a draw here, they move on past this game, still three points clear Liverpool. And I think he would happily take that. So I'm I'm kind of expecting that he goes with a back three of probably Baye, Maguire and Shaw with Wan-Bissaka and Tellez as wing-backs, Fred and McTominay as a centre midfield pairing, and then Bruno behind Rashford plus whoever, either Cavani or Greenwood, or maybe Dan James just for the pure pace in the hope that he can sit in, counter-attack, and use the pace of uh, Rashford and James to run on to long balls from Bruno. Um... United are without a few players. Victor Lindelof is a doubt. Rojo's ruled out. Uh, Palestri has COVID. Martial is a doubt with a hamstring injury. Matic is a doubt with a groin injury. And Phil Jones is ruled out because it's his face, I'd imagine. Um, for Liverpool, Simicus is out. Jota is still out. Naby Keita and Joel Matip are... Um, uh, they've got fitness tests. Let's just say they've got fitness tests. And Liverpool are hopeful that they'll be fit. Gomez, obviously, and Van Dijk ruled out for the rest of the season. Um, Liverpool are in desperate form. Absolutely desperate form. United are in very good form. United have four wins and a draw from their last five games. They've won their last three on the bounce. Liverpool have... Two wins, two draws, and a defeat in the last five, but no wins in the last three. And really and truly have looked terrible since beating Palace 7-0. They were dreadful against West Brom, dreadful against Newcastle, and dreadful against Southampton. Now, the big question for Liverpool is, who is playing at centre-back next to Fabinho? If Matip is fit, then it's Matip, and they're happy, and it's fine, and they can move on with that. If it's any of the others, it presents a real problem because Nat Phillips and Reese Williams are very, very slow. Jordan Henderson isn't a centre-back and can't defend. They could stick Ginny Wijnaldum there. He's quick. He is really good defensively. He's a smart player, good positional sense. And he's good in the air, but he is 5'9", so he's good in the air to a limited degree. Um, I think... I think Liverpool have a better team than United. In fact, I don't think it. I know that Liverpool have a better team than United. And when it comes down to it, the better team should win this game. Alisson Becker is a better goalkeeper than David De Gea in 2021 and has been for a couple of years. Trent Alexander-Arnold is better than Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Now, he hasn't been good this season, but neither has Wan-Bissaka. Whoever plays at right side centre-back for Liverpool, unless it's Joel Matip. If Joel Matip is fit, Joel Matip is better than any of the United centre-backs. But we don't know if he will be. And I'm going to assume, for the purpose of this, that it's going to be Reese Williams. Eric Bailly is better than Reese Williams. Fabinho is better than Harry Maguire at centre-back, in my view. I think he's a better defender. I think he's smarter, better positionally, reads the game better, better in the tackle. Not as good in the air, but I think he's a better defender. Uh, Robbo's the best left-back in the league. Um, if it's McTominay and Fred, neither of them get into the Liverpool team. Pogba on his very best, Pogba at his best gets into the Liverpool team, but how often do we see that? So you'd go with the Liverpool midfield, Ginny, Thiago, Jordan Henderson, and the Liverpool front three is better than whenever United can throw out. 
So Liverpool have the better team, and they should win this game. They also have a far, far, far better manager. They're at home. They need to win this game. There's massive pressure on them to win this game. Because if they don't win the game, they likely finish the weekend in fourth, at best, potentially fifth. No, it'll be fourth, sorry, because Everton aren't playing. Um, but you'll be fourth, a point ahead of Everton, who'll have a game in hand. Um, and Spurs could potentially be sitting right next to you, or maybe even above you if they win their game by a couple of clear goals. So it's massive for Liverpool. They have to win this game. They just have to. So I'm going to say Liverpool win the game 3-1. I think it's going to be ugly to begin with. Liverpool are going to have an awful lot of the ball. The difference in Liverpool this year to last year is going to be the man wearing the number six jersey, Thiago Alcantara. I think he is going to be the one that unlocks this United defence and creates chances for Liverpool and wins them the game. So Liverpool 3, Man United 1. Now I know I've spent very little time on this game and I spent much longer on Wolves West Brom and uh, Leeds Brighton but I, I I don't want to get too much into the uh, the Liverpool United game because I might start ranting about things so let's just swiftly move on what did you what did you pick on a tad predict, uh, predictable one all it's going to be boring it is going to be boring but I'm thinking do you remember a couple of years ago when it was a really dull game and then Shaq came on and won them the game I'm going for the repeat. That is a lot of faith in Jürgen to put Shaq on with more than 30 seconds left in the game. All he needs is four minutes. All he needs is four minutes. With them calves, he's going to come on, the ground's going to shake, and he's going to smash one into the top corner from eh, 27 yards. This is Jürgen Klopp we're talking about and Jürgen Shaqiri. That man has been stood there at full time more times than I've seen anyone. I love it. She gets up, he's got his big smile on his face. He's ready to come on. There's about six minutes left. He's thinking, oh, six minutes. This is great. And then by the time he gets on, it, he just walks over, shakes someone's hand, and the game's over. <laughs> um, yeah, poor old Shaq. He's, he's... I, I do think Klopp likes him. I, just, I don't know what Klopp thinks with substitutions. I really don't. Yes, it's a str- it, I think because we have no centre-backs, he's just kind of lost that. You can't sub one on on the 90 Yeah. To make free That's the, the thing. and add panic. He's trying to bring on an attacker to make up for it, like. He just doesn't like it. He just doesn't like it. Um, no, not last game. Two more games. Um, Man City v Crystal Palace. Um, Man City probably the favourites for the title now that they've settled in. Um, Crystal Palace obviously coming off that beautiful nil-nil draw with uh, with Arsenal. <laughs> um, as I said, Man City are probably the title favourites now, but they do seem to be lacking that firepower, and that's not but well, it's, it's been a problem, but it's not really affected them so far this season. Mm. But without Aguero and Jesus hasn't really stepped up, and that's his story at Man City so far. Is that hope for Crystal Palace? Because I'd be hoping for a nil-nil at best anyway. You'd probably presume. Yeah, I mean Aguero's out of this home with, with COVID, or he, he was in contact with somebody who had COVID. I don't think Aguero himself had it. Americ Laporte is is unlikely to play, but he's had this thigh injury that he's been carrying all season and I've been saying when he was having a couple of rough weeks I did say he's carrying an injury and I got pushed back from City fans oh he's not injured he's just not playing well no he's been injured all season he has had this injury all season so he's a doubt um Eric Garcia is ruled out with COVID and he I mean he's leaving in the summer so he may never play for City again 
Nathan Aki still has the muscle problem. Cole Palmer has COVID and uh, Adrian Garcia has COVID. Um, so City should be, I mean, Stones has been playing. So Stones is, is currently the de facto starter. Aguero's the only one that's missing. Like you say, Gabby Jesus has not stepped up when required this year. But it shouldn't really matter in this one. I mean, Palace, Connor Wickham's out. Schlupp is out. Sacco is out. Martin Kelly is out. Wayne, Hen- Wayne Hennessy is out. And Nathan Ferguson is still out with the uh, the knee injury, uh, which I think has now led to a, some sort of muscular injury as he's trying to recover from the knee problem. Anyway, um, look, Palace... Palace haven't been good. I know that they, they won uh, against was Sheffield United to beat. Um, yeah, they beat Sheffield United 2-0, and then they got the draw with Arsenal. But, I mean, they haven't been particularly good. They got annihilated by Liverpool not all that long ago. They got beaten badly by a Villa team with 10 men. And you'd have to fancy City. With the form that City are in, you know, four wins in a row, really starting to look like the city of old. But you're right in that they, they don't have the firepower at the minute. But the thing is, they're controlling games so comfortably. Like, they went 1-0 up against Southampton in the 16th minute. Never looked like scoring again themselves, but never looked like conceding. The Newcastle game, they go 2-0 up from the from the... Gundogan goal on 14 they were just in cruise control absolutely comfort mode the same thing against uh, Chelsea Gundogan scores on 18 Foden on 21 and then it's just relax and let's just play our football if City get that early goal in the first 20 minutes they're so hard to beat because they're just they constantly look like they have everything under control De Bruyne is playing unbelievable football at the moment. Phil Foden has stepped up massively. It's taken him a few months, but he has massively stepped up. Now, he's playing in a variety of roles. They still haven't fully trusted him with that midfield position. But, like, you see them, they they played Brighton with a front three of Mares, Bernardo Silva, and Phil Foden. No striker. And they still looked... A million dollars. The, the, the interplay, the movement, the creativity. It was just, it was really, really good to watch. And then obviously Sterling and Jesus come off the bench and it starts to become a little bit more cut and thrust. So I can't see how City don't win this game. I think City will win this game and I think it'll almost be, it'll be quite comfortable. It'll be a 2-0 win where very little happens. City will score on like 11 and then they'll just dominate the game and they'll get another one in like the 70, 70th minute when Palace are tired. And they'll never break sweat. And, you know, that's kind of what Pep wants them to do at the moment. Because with the season being the way it is, with the fixture list the way it is, he understands that they've got massive fixture congestion. And he'll want things to just be, you know, nice and relaxing for the players. He won't want them uh, running themselves into the ground. So, yeah, 2-0 to, to, to City. No issues, I don't think, for them. Is is the defensive improvement simply down to Ruben Diaz, or have you seen something Pep's done differently? 
Yeah, it's 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 a little bit of both. I mean, Diaz has been brilliant since they signed him. He he has been really really good. He's established himself as one of the best defenders in the league. A big plus has been Rodri being more settled into the team and playing slightly deeper and being much more of a shield this year. Whereas last season, you always felt like Pep was trying to get him to do the Fernandinho thing, playing that bit higher up the field, being more aggressive, been more involved in the press, kind of forcing himself upon the game. Whereas this season... He's playing his more natural role. He's allowing the game to come to him. He's just protecting that back four. He's getting on the ball in deeper areas, which allows him more time on the ball so he can play his passes as well, which improves um, their their possession, which improves their control on games. You've also got to factor in Kyle Walker has declined as an attacking threat. He doesn't get forward the way he used to. And that has helped. Now, Joe Canseo has played the last couple of games and he's obviously a pure attacking fullback. But when Walker was playing there, it really did help them become more solid defensively. And they got very confident in how they were playing. And a big part of it is confidence. I mean, you look at John Stone's play at the moment. And yes, he still makes positional errors, but he looks a lot more confident. He doesn't look like the guy from 12 to 18 months ago who always looked like he was terrified. There was a spell for John Stones where he just looked like a guy who whose life was dependent on getting things right. And if he didn't get it right, his whole family were going to be taken away from him. It, it was so strange to watch. It was, You know those guys, like, you know those films you watch where they do, like, the tiger kidnapping, where they kidnap, like, they go to the, to the banker's house and they take the family hostage and they tell him, you know, you go to work now and you get us all that money. And the guy goes to work and he's like sweating and shaking and everybody's asking him, is he okay? And he's healthy and he's fine. That's what John Stones looked like for, for quite a while. Now he looks much more confident, much more happy, freer in himself, safer in his, in his role in the team. He, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's been good. And his improvement along with, along with Diaz um, and, and I think Rodri has been massive. But as well as that, they're not as aggressive going forward. They're a lot more controlled. They don't empty the midfield as much. When, when they had that incredible team with De Bruyne, Fernandinho and Silva in midfield and then the Sterling, Aguero, Sané um, front three, what you'd often see with City is they just empty the midfield. De Bruyne would go wide right. Sané would be wide left. The F- Sterling and Aguero would become a front two and Silva would drop right in behind them. And then Fernandinho was left with massive amounts of space to try and cover. Now you don't see it. Uh, Gundogan plays a much more conservative role. He sits in next to uh, Rodri. does a similar job to what Ginny does for us in almost being that second holding midfielder, but one who can be more progressive on the ball and link the play a bit more, kind of a, a hybrid between, and this is not to insult the poor guy, but a hybrid between what Ginny does and what Joe Allen used to do in that. Remember that middle, remember that Rogers staggered midfield three mm. where you'd have a defensive midfielder, an attacking midfielder, and then a, sh- a shuttler in midfield. Gundigan's not quite a shuttler, but he is, he does link that Rodri to De Bruyne sort of gap. And, um, I, yeah, I just think they've become more conservative, more controlled. Rodri has settled in and improved. Diaz has been 
a godsend for them. Stones has been much better than he had been for a couple of years. And yeah, overall, the defensive improvement is is very good to see. It's um it is like when, when Pep was at Barca though. Uh, he didn't have the best individual defenders, but because of how much of the ball they had and how much control they had in the games, when they lost the ball, they ensured that they lost it in areas where they couldn't get hurt. You'll rarely see City, as things stand, take big risks at the back. They'll take their risks in advanced positions. At the back, what you're seeing is safety first option. So if the ball out is not is not on, play it back to centre back. Work it to the other side and let's look for a different way out. You're seeing the fullbacks carry the ball a bit more as well. And that's important. Zinchenko on the left and Canseo on the right, they're carrying the ball more. Whereas Walker would get the ball, give it, and then go for the return. Canseo's happy to get the ball and carry it 25, 30 yards. And that, again, helps because he's not playing risky passes into central areas. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a bit. I, I quite like the balance of the new fullbacks as well. It seems it seems to be mm. working for him. I really like Zinchenko. I mean, he's not mm. he's not a fullback, but I think he is a very good player. Mm. Uh, there had been talk that City were going to let him go this 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 window or potentially in the summer, but he's he's the best left back at the club, despite not being a left back. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it was Cancelo was playing left back, but if Zinchenko mm. can lock that down, it's a it's a good option to have, but. Um, anyway, we'll move on to the last game of the weekend. There is a midweek game, but we'll we'll do them next week. Or Dave will do them himself, day by day. Um, I presume this is going to be a nil-nil prediction, but you've kind of already talked about Arsenal because you mentioned their game last night. Newcastle. I've at, at this stage, Newcastle fans get a lot of. BS from pundits and stuff saying what the want, what more do they want from Steve Bruce, mm. etc. The every time I watch them, it's a, like the Liverpool game aside because everyone seems to step up for us nowadays, or we just play terrible, or both. But it's kind of embarrassing, like yeah, it is. Losing it to is. Sheffield United is bad enough, but like I, I didn't watch it. But you look at the stats getting sent off. Ill-discipline, and I sympathise with the struggles they've had with COVID and injuries and stuff in the squad, but you have a lot of attacking talent. You're not mm. going to get relegated. Use it. <laughs> Don't play 12 centre-backs against Sheffield United. It, yeah. I, I, it's too much. They are. They're the worst team in the league to watch. The like By a country mile, the worst team in the league to watch. There's no ambition in the team. Bruce, he came out and said, like, my job is to keep us up. But, like, they went to Arsenal in the FA Cup last weekend. And the FA Cup should be a completely free hit. Go and have a go. Go and have some fun. Try and get a cup run. Well, they already bottled the League Cup to Brentford. Yeah, that's the thing. And he went with a back five. B team, I should say. But, like, it's one thing when you go with a back five and you've got wing backs. But his back five that that day was Emil Kraft, who I do like, but is a very defensive-minded fullback. And Paul Dummett, who should really be a centre-back if you're playing a back three. Kieran Clark, 
Jamal shells and he pulled Isaac Hayden from midfield where he's their best midfielder into centre back. So he could have just gone with a back four of Kraft, Lachelle's, Clark and Dumman. That's fine. And played Hayden in midfield. But instead, he went with a back five. And then he sat Sean Longstaff and Cousin Jeff in front of them. Jolington and Almiron played as quote-unquote wingers. But in truth, they were the wingbacks in what formed as a back seven. And Andy Carroll played up front. Now, Andy Carroll should never be on a football field in the Premier League. In, in 2021. I mean, it's embarrassing that they're still playing them. But the lack of ambition that Steve Bruce showed in that game really summed him up. Because, like, Arsenal rested a, a number of players. Like, Cedric played at right back. Mary came into the team at centre back. El Nenny and Willock was the starting midfield. They changed the three behind the striker as, as Pepe, Willian, and, and Nelson came into the team. So Arsenal weakened themselves, and yet Newcastle didn't really try and give them all that much of a game. Now, I understand that Callum Wilson was out for that one, but come on, like, have a go. You had two shots on target in the whole game. Then you went to um, Sheffield United. You had 33% of the possession. You managed three shots on target in the whole game. Go back before that. Leicester, at home, 43% possession. Two shots on target. One of them was the Andy Carroll consolation goal. Before that, they had Liverpool at home. 26% possession. Two shots on target. Before that, City. Like, fair enough, you're not going to get much against City. But, again, two shots on target. 24% possession. And Brentford in that cup game. Three shots on target. And Brentford gave them the ball. Brentford were actively giving them the ball and saying, right, have that. Have that. We're going to take it off you and we're going to counter. And Newcastle were like, oh, no, we don't want it. You have it back. It was about 50-50 possession in that game. Like, even, even when they played Fulham at home, Fulham had more possession despite playing the last half hour with 10 men. Newcastle's goal came from the penalty spot. Like, it, they're just... An abomination to watch. It is horrible to watch them play. And as you said, there is loads of attacking talent at the club. And he just won't use it. Now, admittedly, they've had some injuries. St. Maximum is now back. He's ruled out of this game, but he's back in the country. And I think he's quarantining at the moment. Um, So hopefully he'll be back soon. Paul Dummett's a doubt. No one should care. Uh, well, you know, that's that's a bit mean, but he shouldn't be in the team anyway. I mean, Paul Dummett's not a Premier League player, never has been. Ryan Fraser sp- is suspended. Jamal Lewis has a de- is a doubt. John Joe Shelby's a doubt, and Jamal Lachelle's a doubt. Jamal Lachelle's has fatigue. Fatigue. He's played what one game? How's he got fatigue? He's he, played one game. He he had COVID. He's, he's the one. He's him and Sir Max have the after. Okay, okay, that makes sense then. Right. That. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um <laughs> that, that was been a bit mean then. Is he, he didn't like he didn't play against Sheffield United. No, I think he's he, only came, he's on I think he played in the cup. Yeah, I think he's only just came back from that, but I think him and that's why Newcastle haven't had much. I think um St. Max and Lascelles particularly. I think Mankeo as well have had long term after effects or something like that. Um well that's fair enough then. But they're gonna lose this game. 
they just are. They're going to lose this game. It's going to be boring. It's going to be uninspiring. And Arsenal are really going to have to work very, very hard for a goal. And I think they will get a goal, but no more than a goal. So I'm going to say Arsenal to win 1-0. Now, Arsenal, close enough to full strength for this one. Martinelli's out. Tierney's out. And that's that, that's the blow. Now, Martinelli could be back, but he's, 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 a, he's a doubt. Uh, Mary is a doubt and Tierney's most likely out with the uh, with the the injury that they've said requires a an MRI, but they won't say what the actual injury is. I'm guessing it's an ankle or a knee, and hopefully it's nothing too serious because he's he's really good and he's very important to them. Um, but yeah, I mean Arsenal should win that game. I think they'll win at one nil. You mentioned the pundits with the Steve Bruce thing, and what more do you do you want from Steve Bruce? The answer is nothing. Nobody wants or expects any more from Steve Bruce than what he's currently giving them. The issue is that they don't want Steve Bruce. That's what the issue is. Newcastle fans neither want nor deserve to have Steve Bruce manage their football club. He's just, he's not a Premier League level manager. Now, he did very well last season to keep them up. He's doing an admirable job this season as they sit 15th. But they're only seven points clear of Fulham. And Fulham have a game in hand. Newcastle haven't won a game in the last five. They've taken two draws. Mm. They've gone out of both cups. So in the last seven games, they haven't won a game. Isn't Newcastle's game in hand against Villa as well? It's against Villa. So that's most likely a defeat. You'd expect Villa to go there and beat them. Like, when you look at Steve Bruce's managerial career, it's not exactly, uh, you know, shiny and bright. He was at Sheffield United for a year. He won 40% of his games. He went to Huddersfield. He was there just over a year, 37.9% of his games. He managed Wigan for eight games, won three of them. He went to Palace. He won 61% of his games and then bizarrely left when things were going quite well. Uh, he took over at Birmingham. Birmingham is his sort of longest managerial stay, but he won 37% of his games. Uh, he went back to Wigan, 33.8% of his, of his games he won. He won less than 30% in two years at Sunderland. Uh, he was at Hull for four years. He won 41% of his games. He was at Villa for just over two years, actually just under two years, mm. and he won 45% of his games. He won 39% of his games at Sheffield Wednesday, where he only was for like five months before he took the Newcastle job. But he's only won 31% of his games at Newcastle. Played 67, won 21, drawn 19, lost 27. I don't have the, the goals for and against to hand, but in the league this season, they've scored 18 conceded 27 so it's like it's not like they've been really good defensively and they're certainly not good going forward last season they scored 38 goals in the league and conceded 50 excuse me 58 so in league form alone they're minus 29 over his time in charge and that's meant to be the strength of a Steve Bruce team and that's that's largely why you would put up with such dreadful attacking football 
is because defensively you make up for it by being fairly solid. But they're just not solid. They're not good defensively. They're they're decent in midfield. They've got a bunch of decent midfielders. They have talented attackers who he doesn't use. And they are awful to watch. And every week, when I'm watching games, they're the one team that I dread watching. Mm. I dread watching them play. Like I'll I'll ha- I'd watch Burnley against Crystal Palace or Burnley against West Brom or Crystal Palace against West Brom quicker than I'd watch Newcastle against Leicester, City, Liverpool or anybody else because I just know that Newcastle are going to make it a horrible horrible game to watch. And if it's horrible to watch, imagine how little crack you are having playing in that game. Like it, it just can't be fun at all to play that style of football because there's there's no reward for it either. Like Mourinho, people say, oh, Mourinho plays similar. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't play a similar style. He, he is defensive-minded, but they don't play like that. They do in big games, but not, not all the time. But like with Mourinho, Spurs are sixth. I think they'll get top four. They could win a cup this year. You know, you do see a means to an end. Diego Simeone's team plays a, a very defensive style of football. They're four points clear at the top of La Liga with two two games in hand. They've been to Champions League finals. They're in the Champions League every year. They've won a league title. They've won some cups. They won a Europa League a couple of years ago. He's won two there, I think. Well, you look, um, at, you look at Rafa, his predecessor. Rafa, he was exactly. Very defensive, but when when he got Almiron. You had a you had the three players up front in a in a nice set system. You knew what Rondon mm. was doing. Perez was working off him, and Almiron was settling into the league nicely. Almiron's not developed at all since Rafa. No, he's, he's got no. He's gone off a cliff, and it wouldn't surprise me if he left in the summer. But like when you have like I know St. Maximum's missed a bunch of time, but like he was there last season, and he was there for most of this season. When you have Almiron, St. Maximum, Jolington, Ryan Fraser. Uh, Callum Wilson, Dwight Dwight Gale, all at your disposal, and you're averaging just over a goal a game. I mean, that's dreadful. Mm. That is dreadful. And Callum Wilson, I think, has eight of those goals in the league this season. Like, they're just so bad to watch. There's no ambition in the team. The, the goal, literally, and Steve Bruce outright said it, the goal is stay in the league. So if they get 17th and stay up on goal difference, he will be absolutely thrilled by that. Thrilled! But that's not, like, their squad, I don't believe their squad is as bad as people make it out to be. Like, people working on, and you know, about how they'll struggle and they'll go down. I look at their goalkeeper situation. Dubravka's a really good goalkeeper. And um, Carl Darlow's been very, very good this season. They also own Freddie Woodman, who's out on loan at Swansea. So they've got three good goalkeepers. I really like Lachelle's. I'm not massively high on on Federico Fernandez, but he's decent. Mm. Uh, Kieran Clark is decent. Fabian Schaar has, has regressed, but is decent. Paul Dummett's a, a championship-level player, and it, it's just what he is. Lejeune was good pre-injury as well. He was really good pre-injury. Really good and never quite recovered. Now, mm-hmm. I haven't watched him this season, but by all accounts, he's doing quite well at Alaves. At right back, they've got 
Yedlin is a sprinter. He's not a footballer. But Mankio's a good player. He's a good defender. Emil Kraft is a good defender. And they've played Jacob Murphy as a wing back a few times, and he's a good player. I like him. I really like Jamal Lewis. Really like Jamal Lewis. I think he's a very, very good player. And they've been using Matt Ritchie as sort of the alternative left back. And I like Matt Ritchie, especially like just how much needle there is in him. Um, so th- th- it's not a bad defensive group. If they were to add a good centre-back partner for Lachelle's and go with, say they went with Kraft, new centre-back Lachelle's and um, Lewis as a back four, that's that's a quality defence. If you get the right centre-back in, that could be a quality defence. You've got quality in goal. In midfield, they've got a really nice group. I, I really like um, I really like Isaac Hayden. I think he's a really good ball winner. The Longstaffs, Sean Longstaff's a very good passer of the ball. A little bit immobile for my taste, but he's a good player. Matty Longstaff is, is just one of those old-style ball winners. He's, he's basically a more athletic Lee Catamull. And that, I think, has value as a squad player. John Joe Shelby, a couple of years ago, should have been in the England squad. Yeah, should right. have been in the England squad for the World Cup. He was brilliant in the season leading into the World Cup. And he was robbed of a place in that World Cup squad. John Joe Shelby's a good player. Was that um, Rafa's last year? That was Rafa's last year in charge. It was indeed. But, you know, that, and that's what Rafa did for him. He developed him into, into mm. that type of player. So they've got a really good core group of four midfielders there in the two long staffs, Hayden and Shelby, who they can mix and match, and all of them can give them a different sort of look. And then, like, Jolington's a good player. He was just misused for his first 15 months at the club. He's not a number nine. And if you're going to play him as a nine, use him as a false nine and put two goal scorers either side of him. Use him the way Liverpool used Bobby Firmino and put two goal scorers. Now, you don't have two goal scorers to play in wide roles, but he can be a very good and effective player for you. Dave, he's tall. He's a target man. That's Well, that's the problem. And the same thing happened to Sebastian Haller. And the numpties on social media and in punditry rooms will go, oh, it's flop. 40 million, he's a flop. Four goals, a flop. Not used properly. Like... Let's just look at Robbie Savage as an example, right? Solid box-to-box midfielder in his career. If someone had bought Robbie Savage and thought, you know what I'm going to do with him? I'm going to play him as a winger. Mm. I'm going to play him as a winger because he's got flash hair and he wears white boots. I'm going to play him as a winger. He would have been dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. But it wouldn't have been his fault. It would have been the fault of the manager who looked at him and thought, right, that's what he is. In the same way that the manager who looked at Jolington and thought, right, tall fella, target man. It's not on the player, it's on the manager. But I really like Callum Wilson. I thought a couple of Premier League clubs like Brighton missed out on going for him. West Ham could have done with him in the summer. Newcastle did really well to get him. Um, Ryan Frazier's talented but inconsistent. But he's a good player. I really like Almiron. I think he's super talented. And I, I really, really like Alan St. Maxim. He's just so much fun to watch. But, like, that four, four of those five, say if you were to go with Almiron on the, le- on the left, sorry, Almiron on the right, St. Maxim on the left, and then 
Wilson and Jolington up front as a front two and play a proper 4-2-4 type where you've got your back four that I went through, Kraft, new centre-back, Lachelle's, Lewis, Hayden and maybe Shelby as the two best of those midfielders in front of them as a, as a platform for the attack. The two boys wide, the two boys up front. I think that's a, a mid-table, t- solid mid-table team. Anywhere from 9th to 13th. But they'll be entertaining to watch. They'll beat some big teams. They'll have a couple of bad results, as everybody does. But they'd be far more exciting. That's one signing guy. Mm. That's not outside the realms of possibility. That's asking for one signing and using the talent that's there. And I'm not suggesting that I'm a a better manager or or more suited than, than Steve Bruce, but I look at squads and I... I know what I see. And with that Newcastle team, I see talent that's not being used. Emil Kraft rarely gets a game. Lachelle's obviously he's had COVID and whatever, so that's fine. Jamal Lewis has been misused so far. Left wing back one game, left back the next, wing back the next. He played left side centre back in a game. The midfield, he doesn't know what he wants to use. And, he, and like I say, he played Hayden as a centre back, which was just stupid. Um, Almiron has been misused. He's never figured out how to use St. Maximum properly because he's an idiot. And Jolington, he thinks is a, was thought was a target man. Now, he seems to have realized that he's not, and he's gotten more out of him this season. But, I mean, that as a basis for a team, if even if you were to say, look, you, you can't have a centre-back, right, Fabian Schaar in next to, next to Lachelle's or Federico Fernandez in next to Lachelle's. I'll be happy with that, and I'll go with that as a 4-2-4 that becomes a 4-4-2 in, in, out of possession. And I reckon with a bit of ambition, Steve Bruce could get them mid-table. Not anybody else. Mm. Not not change the manager and bring somebody else in. I reckon Steve Bruce, with some ambition, could do that. We saw it in the restart. <laughs> he did this. He yeah, let them they, play. They, were, they were actually watchable. after like, Last season, same as this season, start of the season through to when football stopped in February, Unwatchable. Dreck. Whatever happened in the lockdown, Steve Bruce came out of the lockdown and thought, right, let's play some football. <laughs> it's almost like he thought they were free preseason <laughs> friendlies. He let them go and play. They were scoring goals. They were exciting. St. Maximum was just making a mockery of defences. Almiron looked confident. Jolington looked confident. And then you go and you add a good striker to that in Callum Wilson, and all of a sudden you go, I don't know, enough of this exciting football now. Like, let's get back to what we do. We're all, so on, back zero, seven. We're all on zero points. That means yeah, back nine. Let's that's go. It. And it. But literally is like, it is a flat back five with wingers playing so deep that they can only be described as wing backs and two sitting midfielders. It's a back nine. Every game, it's a back nine. I've never seen a lonelier striker than the Newcastle one. No, it's it's and like fair play to Callum Wilson. He he doesn't seem to be complaining or griping about it, but he he looks very lonely up front. He's got eight goals in the Premier League this season. Now I know he scored a few penalties, but eight goals is a great return. Given the lack of support, given how far away from him all of his teammates tend to be for the majority of games, 
Uh, it's a really good. It's a really good return. Uh, Coventry City's own uh, Callum Wilson. Um, yeah, I, I, I. If 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 Newcastle fans were in the stadium at the minute, I, I think. I think for sure we would be seeing. Um, for sure, we'd be seeing uh, games for <laughs> a lot of. Yeah, it would. It would, to be fair, but we'd be seeing a, a lot more protest, and I think they'd be not for Newcastle fans for us. <laughs> quite loud, but yeah, I mean, Jesus, it, it's an abomination. They're awful to watch. Arsenal are winning the game one nil, and it is going to be an awful game of football, and it will have nothing to do with Arsenal. Yeah. Right. That, that was that about half it. an hour on Steve Bruce. There we go. Look, this is a long podcast, but you know, it is what it is. It's all what is it? What are we about eighty minutes in? That's fine. That's yeah. fine. You got you got in depth ranting about Newcastle, you got ranting about Brighton, you got ranting about West Brom Midwest and Wolves. Derby. What you listen to this podcast for. Look, I said when I started this podcast, I didn't just want to talk about the big six. I want to talk about everybody. So I, I do I I enjoy talking about Wolves and West Brom more than I enjoy talking about Liverpool United because I talk about Liverpool all the time on Anfield Index. Um I enjoy talking about Newcastle uh because I, I like Newcastle as a club. Um like if you want I'll do 25 minutes now on Sean Dyche. But who wouldn't to be fair? Well that's that's the, the great man. I mean uh, the the whole purpose of this podcast is to focus on the whole league and to talk more about the teams that you know others aren't talking about. Um, so yeah, you know if if it's not for you, I'm sorry, but that is the the purpose of this podcast. If it is for you, tell a friend, spread the word. Let's keep the numbers going up. Um, a tad predictable back this week. Isn't it nice for him that he got last weekend off? I know. Oh, FA Cup. Oh, that's not for me. Who do you think he is? Work harder, Tad. You need to work harder. To be fair, he probably would have made me come on it. And I can only lie so much about Cheltenham and stuff like that. Yeah, it's true enough. It's true. There's only so much stuff you can blag about League 2 teams and League 1 teams. That's why my my previews of the weekend were literally just, I'll do this guy, you have the day off, and I'm going to rattle through these games as quickly as possible and not talk about any game that doesn't include a Premier League team. Um, yeah, that is the show for today. That is the week wrapped up. We will be back Monday, uh, where we'll talk about, you know, the weekend's games, have a little bit more of a look at Arsenal, Newcastle, if anything else pops up over the weekend. And then next week we do have Tuesday, West Ham, West Brom, Leicester, Chelsea. Wednesday is, uh, Man City versus Villa. Uh, hilariously, that is match, match day one of 38, because that's the game that was cancelled or postponed at the start of the season. Uh, also on Wednesday, we have... Um, we have Fulham against Manchester United. Thursday is Liverpool against Burnley. So Friday is the only day next weekend with no Premier League football, but there may well be FA Cup football on Friday, which would be great. Newcastle are playing Aston Villa next weekend in the league uh, because, you know... They just are. Um, one last thing. Shrewsbury, apparently, against Southampton, is going to go ahead. Now, Southampton seem to have doubts about whether they should play this because they don't know if Shrewsbury 
are following the correct guidelines. That's one to keep an eye on. But anyway, loads of football next week. Uh, loads to talk about here on the Two Footed Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Mr. Guy Drinkle as always. Thank you to Fox Haunt for the title music. Check the lads out at Fox Haunt on the Twitter machine. They've got some good stuff. Check them out on Spotify. Really good stuff. Uh, see you next week. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.